you turn with me to the book of Acts, please. Book of Acts. I was in turmoil this morning, as I normally am, um, wondering, quite, wondering quite what to bring to you, because I did have something else that I woke up with this morning, and I was thinking, now, Lord, is that for me, or is that for the congregation? And then I thought, no, it's for me. Then I thought, no, it's for the congregation. Then I thought, no, it's for me. Then a little later, after toast, I thought, no, it's for the congregation. Then a little later, I thought it's for me. It was this vacillating between two opinions. It is, a, it is an area where I need dealing with in my heart. And um, hopefully the Lord will help me to uh, become more faithful to himself and not be so uh, anxious over these things. But nonetheless, um, it is important that we know what the Lord is wanting to say to us. And that's the, why I want to really get it right um, and share with you the things that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart. Acts chapter 6, I finally felt really that the Lord wanted me to look at this with you. Acts chapter 6. And last time we looked at verse 1 through verse 4. Now forgive me, I'm going to read what we read last time, but I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to go on to the next part. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let me state that last verse again. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Shall we have a further word of prayer? Father, we want to thank you for the wonder of your word. We want to thank you that it is light. We want to thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to bring to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And we are asking, Lord, that that sword would be in the hand, as it were, by the power of your Spirit this morning, that you would speak into our lives, Lord. We need to hear from God and not from men. We need your word in these days. We see the opposition is all around us, crouching about us. And we pray, Lord, in our day, we will be those that know how to handle the word of God, know how to wage warfare, know how to get through with you, Lord, and know how to pray. Lord, please would you teach us this morning. We need your help. Lord, spare this congregation from the thoughts or imaginations of the preacher. Help us to hear from heaven for the sake of Jesus Christ and, the, and because the hour is so late. Please help this time not to be wasted, Lord. We ask that your anointing would be on my speaking and on all our hearing. For the sake of Jesus Christ, we ask this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, last time we spoke about the fact that there was a hiccup, as it were, that happened within the church when you get to Acts chapter 6 between certain widows because some were being uh, 
were, were being left out from being receiving bread and the others were having it and there was confusion, there was problems. And I mentioned last time this was the first major hiccup in the church. Of course I didn't quite get that right because in chapter 5 you have the matter of Ananias and Sapphira, don't you? But essentially this was the first time there was a problem between companies of believers together and praise God that Peter had the wisdom of how to handle it so that the work of God could continue to go forward and the people of God can continue to be blessed and so we get to this chapter 6 and we get to verse 4 and I really want to home in on this for however long the Lord would lead us this morning but the Peter says first of all in verse 4 but we will give ourselves continually, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I find this such a challenging statement, brothers and sisters, because essentially, this is firstly speaking to leaders. You see, Peter was a leader, and you had the apostles together, and they could have easily have been involved with the daily ministration. They could have caused themselves to get wrapped up with what was going on in this problem with the widows. But they didn't do that because they knew that their purpose, their calling was firstly what? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. And really one of the crying needs of today is that the Lord would quicken again leaders who will get themselves before God. And the crying need of the church is for leaders who will not simply get a sermon from the Bible and string some verses together, but get before God so God can deal with them. You see, the need is not only for the leaders to get a message from God, it's for the leaders to be changed and the message to affect them. You see, you can't really have a word from God that's going to be effective, that's going to be powerful, that's not going to fall to the ground unless you've firstly been exercised in that matter before God yourself, can you? And think of the Lord Jesus. Every time he preached, every time he said things, he was speaking out from the place of experience. He was speaking as one who knew what it was like to be sorrowful. Whenever the Lord requires of you, friends, to do anything, remember he's gone through it before you. Whenever you go through any hardship, the Lord Jesus has been there before you. He knows what it's like to be sorrowful. And every time he preached and every time he spoke, he spoke us out from the place of experience and experiential knowledge. No wonder there was authority. I wonder how many of us who preach really come from that position of having allowed that message to be worked into our own lives first. And this is one of the crying needs of the church to get preachers who will get before God and be in that secret place before God in order that they have a message from God that is fueled, energized, empowered by the Holy Spirit so they have unction. So often within the pulpit today, it's as dead as anything, isn't it? And the word of God is seen to be dead. And the people just listen to a voice as religious pronouns are spoken out into a congregation with no authority and power. Why? Because the preacher hasn't got before God. He's got a sermon. It was a book by um, Ian Bounds that struck me 
um, that I read many years ago. But he said this, the, reason, the real sermon is made in the closet. The man, God's man, is made in the closet. His life and his most profound convictions are born in the secret communion with God. The burdened and tearful agony of his spirit, his weightiest and sweetest messages are received when alone with God. Prayer makes the man, prayer makes the preacher, prayer makes the pastor. And there's so many people out there, they have a wealth of knowledge in their minds, but they don't know God. And this is why we're having so little effect upon the souls of those who listen in the congregation. That's why you can preach an orthodox message. You can have your message correct. It can be accurate. By measurement, it can be right. Nothing wrong with it. But there's no power in it. Why? Because it's not been fueled by prayer. Ian Bounds goes on to say, The pulpit of this day is weak in praying. The pride of learning is in opposition to the dependent humility of prayer. In the pulpit, prayer is all too often only official, a performance for the routine of service. In the modern pulpit, prayer is not the mighty force it was in Paul's life or ministry. Every preacher who does not make prayer a mighty factor in his own life and ministry is weak as a factor in God's work and is powerless to advance God's cause in this world. And I say amen to that. It's absolutely true. That's why there's no breakthrough. That's why there's no coming into things. Because the preaching is weak because pastors and preachers have been prayerless. They've not been exercised before God. Where's the praying today, dear friends? Amongst leadership. No wonder congregations don't pray. Why should they, in a sense, if the leadership don't set the culture for the church? And here we are today. We can just get our degrees from our Bible colleges, and we can, in a sense, have a profession, as it were, of Christianity, of leading churches, without any power, without any unction, and we give to the world an impression that the Lord Jesus is no more than something to be lectured, rather than a person to be feared and a God to be exalted. Where's the trembling before the Word of God these days? It's not there because the preaching isn't there. And why isn't the preaching there? Because the pastor can't be bothered. People can't be bothered to get on their knees. They don't see the importance of prayer. And they don't see the importance of prayer because they're not broken before God. They're able to do it in their own power and might. I remember hearing many years ago David Wilkerson preaching. And he was speaking about a man who came to him, a pastor who built a big church. And he confessed to David Wilkerson. He said, I've built a big church there's a huge number now coming to my church, but I haven't prayed in a year. Haven't prayed in a year. You see, you can do it. You can build a big church. You can actually do it. You can get the people in. You can build up the numbers. You can get the offerings. But you will make no impact whatsoever in people's lives if you are not exercised in the realm of prayer in the secret closet. Where's the crying out before God? It's missing today. It's missing today. You think of people like Nehemiah. They wept before God, didn't they? They weren't playing. They weren't even looking to do anything. They firstly just learned to weep before God over the state and condition of Jerusalem, the city of God. And how often are few of us as leaders weep 
um, before God because of the state of the church today, because of the state of the flock, because they're those that have been driven away, those that have been hurt, those that have been harmed by false gospels, those that are coming into meetings like this, they're hearing the word of God, but they're not being changed by it. This is the scary thing. Is it possible for people to come into our meetings and not be changed? Just the word of God doesn't affect their heart. There's nothing defective with the power of the gospel. But I'd rather have somebody angry, shouting in my face over what I'm preaching than just able to sit there benign and have no effect over what I'm preaching. I would rather somebody holler at me than have somebody just be able to say, oh, that was a nice message. But their lives aren't changed. Where is, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. And so often it's because, dear friends, those of us who minister the word, we've got to come on to a higher level in these days because we're dealing with harder opposition. Hearts are harder these days than they've ever been. There are things, I'll give you one reason how you, you, know, you know this. There are things on the television set today that people watch that 50 years ago would shock this generation. And you've got people who can just watch without any sense of their conscience being infected, impure scenes on the television set, unclean words, vile things coming out. You, they can watch it in the name of entertainment and not feel guilty whatsoever. Not feel guilty. 50 years ago, a generation would have screamed at the horrors of such thing, would have run the BBC. In fact, the BBC wouldn't have even dared put some of the stuff they put on the screen now back then. But the hearts are ripe for it. We're ready for it. We're ready now for all the uncleanness that's been building up over the years. And our hearts are hard. And so when you come into a message and you come to hear a sermon, our hearts are generally harder than previous generations. Why is it that previous generations would know the power of the gospel going forward and people would weep in the congregation saying, what must I do to be saved? Where is that today? It's nowhere, is it? Not in the West anyway. We've become so comfortable with our Western Christianity as hearts have grown harder and harder and harder and not realize they're so hard. I wonder if God showed you your heart this morning, what would you do about it? If the word of God penetrated through to your heart, what would you do with it? How much would it take for God to, how much of a strong word would it be, would be needed to penetrate our hearts, to bring us to that place where we're melted inside over our sin? Previous generations knew God moving by his spirit in their congregation. Think of Jonathan Edwards, the American pastor. Think of this man of God. He would be preaching his message and on one occasion, people were clinging on to the posts, the side posts of the church, because they were fearing they were being dragged into hell. That's such is the power of the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. Where is the preaching today? Where's the authority with God today in the pulpit? Why is it lacking? Because there's no oil on it. Where is the oil today? You can't get the oil. You cannot get the oil by simply reading commentaries. You can't get the oil by reading the best Christian book. You can't get the oil by watching men on YouTube. 
You can only get the oil by getting into your closet and beginning to seek the face of God. When will we do it? It's the only answer to this generation. The only answer for this generation is godly men and women getting along with God and saying enough is enough. I need to put things aside and seek the face of God because my children are not hearing the word. What is it to you that your children are not hearing? What is it to me? What is it to us that I can tell them the truth but it doesn't go in? You say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. This is talking about preachers. You're called to be in your home, a leader over your children, right? And if that word isn't penetrating their hearts, don't give yourself over to anxiety. Don't give yourself over to fear. Don't give yourself over to condemnation and spend wasteless hours condemning yourself. What's the point of that? Is that going to save them? Answer me. Is that going to save them? Just spending your time thinking, I'm a terrible parent. I'm so awful. My child is doing this, that, and the other. Oh, it's, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have. And where's that going to get them? And where's that going to get them? No, what we've got to do is if there's any confession involved, we confess it. But we remember that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. And for the sake of all Jesus went through, we begin to believe it. And then after that, we begin to do business with God. And we begin to say, now, Lord, my son's not hearing the word of God. My daughter's turned her back on the gospel. She's gone involved with this thing. She's gone in that. She's just duped by the world. I don't even know where she is. I don't know about my son who's not hearing the word of God, Lord. I'm so frustrated. Pour your frustration on out onto the Lord, not onto your son or your daughter. And plead with God because there's one Savior and it's not you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save their souls. Not you. You can't save them. But I see it, don't we see it so often? Our children and young people, they go into passivity because they're spending endless hours on the internet, endless hours on foolishness, wasting their life away on silly things. And all oh, to God that he'd get hold of a generation that would sober up and begin to realize I'm going to put this aside and get on my knees before God. The only thing that I regret in my youth is I didn't spend longer with the Lord. It's my one regret in life. And I'm old enough to know that the only thing that can change anything in our lives is being with God. And you say, oh, that religion's for somebody else. Of course it isn't. God is just looking for those whose hearts are fully toward him. If God sees your heart is fully toward him, he's no respecter of persons. He will meet with you. He will speak with you. Your daughter's not going on with the Lord. Your son's not going on with God. There's hope for you. But it's not in condemning yourself. It's getting before God. You know, it's really interesting. When we look at this particular verse, we see that Peter could have easily been entangled with things that could have otherwise distracted him from the most important thing in his ministry, prayer. You see, this was legitimate, wasn't it? Pleading with God for these widows, helping them out. It might have even seen a little bit rude of him not to help them out personally. Isn't he meant to have a servant heart? Isn't he meant to lead by example? But what he's saying in this passage is, uh-uh, I'm not letting anything get between me and seeking the face of God. And friends, there's a principle here that goes wider than simply leaders. He says, but we will give ourselves. I want to ask you this morning, what are you giving yourself to? 
What are you giving yourself to? There's so many hours in a day, so many days in a week, so many weeks in a month, so many months in a year. I'm not going to be judged by you and you're not going to be judged by me. We're all going to come before the throne of God and one day give account for how we spent our time and the nature of our works. Not how big they are, but the quality of them. And if you want the oil, friends, if you want power with God, if you want to see a breakthrough, if you want to see something of the Lord begin to affect the life of your children, pray. And then you say to me, I have prayed. I just keep praying. Have you fasted? No, I haven't fasted. Well, why don't you go to that next level? Bring it up a level. Double up on the prayer. Whatever it takes because the soul of your child is worth praying for. And if other people, friends, don't understand and people think you should be about their bidding, so be it. But there'll be times when people will want your attention for themselves and you have to choose between them and God. And friends, don't worry about what people think of you. If you say, look, I can't help you at the moment, God is calling me to pray over this thing, whatever it may be, then pray. And God will provide somebody else to help that person. We need, we need an upping of this level of prayer in our day. It's sadly lacking in the pulpit. Where are the pastors that are seeking the face of God? Don't they see, don't we all see that in the book of Acts, here is a man who is leaving everything and he's saying, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We're to pray at all times in the Spirit. We're to pray without ceasing. Jesus said, men always ought to pray and not faint. There's too much fainting in the house of God. Friends, have some resolve. Have some courage. You feel that the prayer isn't working. Up it. Keep going. Press in. The answer's round the corner. Press in. Move on. Be stubborn. Oh, friends, if only we would be almost like that, un that, that widow with the unjust judge who just kept knocking for justice and kept going and kept going until, as it were, the judge was almost wearied with this woman coming to him. And in the end, he says, oh, I'll give her it. What she's after. Do you know the Lord loves you to begin to pull on him, to begin to hold on him, seek him with all your might until the pr prayer is answered? I think it's so vital because there's such a hardness in the nation now. Can you not see we're near the end, friends? Can you not see that we're coming, men are waxing worse and worse? There is a need for an upping of our prayer life, an upping of intercession and spiritual warfare, and even fasting at times as the Lord wills, that we would truly know something of a breaking down of hardness of heart. And, you know, I remember hearing about a man. He went to a particular factory where he was working, where there was so much devilish activity going on. And he went to this particular factory and he'd been in revival. This is back in the 1800s. He'd been in the midst of people in a revival. And he went to the factory 
And this woman cursed him for his Christian faith. And all he did was look at her with a grieved look. He'd been exercised in prayer. He'd been broken before God. He didn't even say a word. He lifted his eyes with grief in his eyes, looked at this woman, and that was all. The next thing he knows, he sees the woman beginning to weep over what she had said to him. Just by a look. Just by a look. Within moments, she was calling on God for salvation. Within weeks, the whole factory was given over to days of prayer. All because a man sought to get before God. Where is the brokenness, friends? Where's the burdening? You can't get it by your own efforts, by stirring up your flesh, but you can get it in the closet. We need to be awakened from our slumber, don't we? We need to be awakened to the need of the hour. Our children, our young people are being taken into the hardness of heart. What is it to us that they can watch things that are so profane and not feel any guilt over it? If you've done that, if you're watching things that you know you shouldn't be watching, particularly young people, you know you shouldn't be watching, and your conscience is quiet because you have quieted it, by means of practice. May the Lord have mercy on your soul. May the Lord deliver you from getting to the point where your heart is so hard that even a word like this can't penetrate you. It's going to take more than sermons to break through these days going to take more than sermons it's going to take men who are willing to give themselves to something to give themselves to prayer and it's in the giving of ourselves over to the work of God that God begins to do something in our hearts isn't it friends haven't you known this Oh, please don't tell me I'm alone in this. But you're in prayer, and suddenly your own heart is burdened by what you're praying for. For the first time, you have a burden over what you're praying for. And as you continue to pray, the burden increases until you get to that place where it's almost like travel. You have to give birth to this thing. That's the kind of prayer God wants us to get to. For our young people, for our husbands and wives who are not really hearing and not realizing. We're in the 11th hour, friends. There's coming a day where no man can work. There's coming an hour. There's coming an hour where no man can work. And all oh, the regret of so many in that day that they didn't seek the face of God. We live in days like Lot. Jesus told us the end days are going to be like the days of Lot where he would speak to his own family members and it would seem to them as though he was mocking. Isn't that what it's like? People just laugh and scorn. We live in this kind of day. How are we going to see a breakthrough? How is there going to be something of a pressing through into people's hearts? Not by silky messages. Not by saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Not by trying to bring people to a comfortable Christianity, because the word of God says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. But we're not grieved over the affliction of Joseph. We're not those priests 
Where are they who will weep between the porch and the altar and cry out to God, spare thy people, Lord. Not spare the outsider, spare thy people. The Lord shows us in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 22 that he's looking for those who will stand in the gap, who will make up the hedge. There's a time when he looks in chapter 22 and he's angry at the priests and the leaders because they have forsaken their duty. And this is exactly what we've done in our day, friends. Within leadership, within the church, we've abandoned our duty to the flock to pray and seek the face of God. Verse 25 of chapter 22 of Ezekiel. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Can you say that about the leaders of today? They've put no difference between the holy and the profane, have they? Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have rid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey for shed, to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dived them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Can you see that we are like this in our day? Can you see that how clearly this is like the days we live in within the church? Yes? Now look what the response is that God's after in verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. What was the Lord looking for? He was looking for those who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. In other words, calling on God. Spare the people of God, Lord. Deliver us. For we are in a terrible state. And dear brothers and sisters, isn't it the need of our hour that God would raise up men and women that will once again begin to lay aside the peripheral things and seek the face of God? Seek first the Lord. Put aside those things, your superstitions, whatever they be, put them aside. I dare to say, if you seek the face of God, God will speak into your life. God will meet with you by the power of his spirit, and you will know a greater strength than you've ever known before. Dear friends, it costs a lot, but it'll cost a lot more not to. There's a hope for your children. There's a hope for your young. There's a hope even in the darkness that is coming, but it's not going to be realized by a prayerless life. It's only going to be realized by us coming through to that place where we're desperate before God. Do you know what I mean? A sort of holy desperation. And it can't be worked up by the flesh. It has to be the Spirit of God who brings that into your life. And that's what we mean by the oil. Do you know the oil? 
in your life? Have you got oil in your lamps? I'm not asking you whether you believe the right things only. That's not enough. And I think there's a danger for us, even within what we call the remnant church, to think because we've got the right teaching, we're just A-OK and on to eternity. And I just have to, I have a check over that. I don't believe that it's just by saying the right things that that makes us all part of some kind of uh, uh, elite group. Not at all. I think there's those that some of them are in some churches that are actually quite dead, but they're seeking the face of God and they have the oil. And there will come a time when if those leaders do not change, the Lord will bring them out of those churches. And the Lord's done it for some of you already, hasn't he? Where the Lord's brought you out because you've had some oil. But the oil comes by the waiting on God. It's earned, if I can so put it like that. And you can't buy the oil with money, but it's by means of prayer that we come into things with God. Remember what it says in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently, unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness incline your ear and come unto me hear and your soul shall live and i will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of david oh friends where do you buy you buy by means of being on your knees before god don't wait for somebody else to pray don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for another person in the church. Get before God. Let me ask you, the members of your family, are they worth crying out to God for? Do you believe God has the power to totally disrupt their lives and bring them to repentance and faith? Okay, so then what do we need to do? We need to just condemn ourselves for hours on end over how badly we've done that's useless, isn't it? Absolutely useless. Get before God. Pray. Pray. And God will do great things. Because we serve a great God. I believe God is able to do great things in your family. I believe he's able to save their souls. I believe he's able to give them a dream in the night. I believe he's able to open their eyes as they're walking down the street and suddenly realize they're not saved. I believe he's able to give them a vision of the Lord. I believe he's able to speak to them through an on-passing evangelist. I believe God can do anything he likes because he's God and he's able to save every sinner. There's nobody too difficult for the Lord. Our problem is our sheer unbelief and we need to be rid of it. There's no use praying if we're full of unbelief. No, let's lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. Let's lay aside any unbelief and say, now, Lord, I'm grabbing hold of you until the work is done. That's the kind of prayer God's after. Now, I'm not saying that you stay there all the time and never eat and never drink and drive yourself to ruin. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying this. You won't stop continuing to pray for that person. The need is for prayer. It's a wider meaning here, I feel, in Acts chapter 6, 
not a meaning, not a wider meaning, but a wider application that can be given to us. We all need to be those brothers and sisters that pray and seek the face of God. I think of Samuel, who was a man who sought the face of God. Please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I want to read from verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after the vain after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver for they are vain for the lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the lord to make you his people moreover as for me god forbid that i should sin against the lord in ceasing to pray for you but i will teach you the good and the right way only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things he has done for you consider what great things he has done for you the Lord is able to do great things for us friends but notice that Samuel says in this particular passage, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. He actually sees ceasing to pray as sinning against God. Isn't that an amazing statement? But here he is, the, the man, the high priest, the one who is to be the servant of God on behalf of the people of God, to lead them in the right way. Here he is, and he is saying, far be it from me that I should cease to pray for you. Brothers and sisters, this is the order of those in authority within the church. If we, we must learn to pray. We must learn to pray. We must learn to seek God. Any of us who have a desire to be in leadership, learn. we need to learn to pray together and seek the face of God for the congregation. How many of us would consider that ceasing to pray is actually sin? But in this particular verse, we have this statement from him. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. It's against God that he's sinning in not praying on behalf of the people of God. And then he says, in ceasing to pray. Now, the word ceasing is an interesting word from the Hebrew. It has an interesting word. It actually can if I remember rightly, and I'm saying this off the top of my head, but it, it speaks of becoming flabby spiritually. And how many of us leaders were just spiritually, just sitting, as it were, not functioning, not working in this area of prayer, not exercised. And as a result of the fact that we're not exercised, there is much evil that the enemy will seek to do amongst us 
We need to be exercised. We need to be those that are not spiritually in bad condition. How can you and I stop ourselves being spiritually in bad condition? By beginning to pray. It's the exercise. There's trouble between you and your wife. Pray together. Yes, pray it through. Say, well, we're not going to let the enemy get between our marriage. We're going to seek the face of God. This is what we're meant to be doing. If there's issues, don't just bicker against one another and allow things to fester and the enemy to bring all kinds of trouble into the home. No, pray, close ranks, seek the face of God and squeeze the enemy out the door. That's what we're meant to do. That's the way through for you. Your husband's not hearing. I know so many husbands don't. Men have a problem with hearing, don't we? But we're a bit slow on the uptake. Pray that God would deal with them. And don't cease to pray. Don't become spiritually out of condition. You know an athlete has to keep practicing, don't they? They have to keep at it. And there's times, I imagine, athletes get up in the morning and they don't feel like getting out of bed at five in the morning and going down the gym and having to work for a couple of hours. I don't imagine they find it much pleasure. I don't know how they do it themselves because I'm not in that kind of condition whatsoever. However, however, the fact is we can be spiritually like this where we just let another day go and we just let another day go and we let another day go and we've prayed once in the week and the devil's working 24 hours a day can we afford such an easy life we are in a battle we're in a warfare we're in a a place dear friends where there is a, a a battle over people's souls it's too serious isn't it It's not that my prayer does it, but I believe God can if I pray. And Samuel is a man who sought the face of God. We were declaring, uh, uh, sharing earlier in the back room in prayer something about Samuel that's mentioned in Psalm 99. Please turn there with me. Psalm 99. Psalm 99. Verse 5, exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. Now notice that Samuel here is singled out. As among those who call upon the Lord. There's obviously others that were calling on the Lord. But Samuel is particularly singled out. Wouldn't you like to have a prayer life where God takes note of your name? Doesn't matter that anybody else doesn't see it. But God takes hold of your name. And he's able to say to, you know, Mark, Peter, Jane, Lucy, whatever your name is. These are ones who call on my name amongst others. Wouldn't it be good to be like that before God? Here's Samuel, and he has a name before God as a man who calls on the Lord. There was a man in the 1950s, I think his name's Tom Hare. He was from Ireland, and he was a good friend of A.W. Tozer and also of Leonard Ravenhill. And I'm sure not many of you have ever heard about him, have you? Nope. He's not really mentioned very much about. He's not a big name amongst men. But if you went to those leaders and say, show us somebody who could pray, 
this man. They'd lead you to this man. Tom Hayes spent hours and hours before God, and he would know the presence of God, and he would know what it is to have sway with God. I imagine he's a name that's mentioned amongst others who call on the name of the Lord. Here he is, Samuel, among them that called on the name of the Lord. They called on the name of the Lord, and he answered them. Dear friends, remember, it's God that changes things. He's a prayer-answering God. He spoke unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou was a God that forgavest them, though thou took vengeance of their inventions. But notice, dear friends, that God forgave them. That's mentioned after that Samuel was among them that called on the name of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? God forgives. If we call on the Lord, we can know something of sway with God. Wouldn't it be amazing if some of us impromptu, we have somebody we know, they're not hearing, their hearts are hard. They're not responding. Whatever you say, you can't do anything. They won't move. They won't budge. They can't change. They're not hearing. They're blinded by the God of this world. They're deafened by the darkness that has consumed their souls. And you can't penetrate that with mere words. You need unction and the power of the Spirit of God. Something to break through into their hearts. And you haven't got it. What do you do? You pray. And maybe you gather two or three others and say, Would you mind coming around Wednesday night? My daughter's not hearing. My husband's not hearing. And you say, I'd love to come around. My daughter's got the same issue. Good, let's pray together. This is what the body of Christ should be all about. Shouldn't it? Should be of all this getting together, not trying to condemn one another over each other's problems, but coming together to pray for one another. This is the way the church should be. So often we're so afraid to share things, lest we feel that people will condemn us in the church. Well, that should, that should have nothing to do with the house of God. We should be able to bring our burdens and say, brother, sister, this is serious. Let's pray. There's not enough of that, is there? We've got to be wise in how we handle private information. But on, this, on the other hand, we've, perhaps there might be two or three that you know you can quietly get together with. Seek the face of God together. Covenant together if necessary. We're going to pray this amount of hours per week or per month until so-and-so comes through. This is the way that God wants us to learn. Because God wants to forgive this is the wonderful thing about God's heart. He wants to act. He wants to show mercy. But he's looking for those who will wrestle with him. I want to ask you, are you a wrestler? Not this silly American wrestling. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about Jacob. He said to the Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. Most of us say, Lord, let me go. It's been 20 minutes. I've got to do something in the car. Now, I'm not saying that we should forsake our normal duties. Of course, we need to do them. And God is practical. And of course, we need to go to work. And if people say, well, I'm just praying, I'm not going to go to work, they completely just don't have anything to do with those sort of people. There's qualifications for us to have something of sway with God. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. 
But on the other hand, if he doesn't pray, he can't live spiritually. Where are the prayers? Where are those who really see it? You know, how bad does it have to get? How bad does it have to get before the Lord says to us, could you not even watch with me for one hour? Just one hour. People are on their way to hell, friends. This nation is so vulnerable at the moment. And there is a powerful battle going on in the heavenlies over the state of this nation. And it's up for grabs, it seems. Who's going to side with the Lord and plead with God that he would intervene? May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. We need God in these days. We need words of authority in these days. Do you know the Lord can give you a word of authority? A word that will smash through the hardness of a heart and break it and bring a person to their knees, weeping before God that they might find the Lord. But that kind of unction isn't found in easy living. It's found in the closet. It's in the prayer room. It's before God. I don't know any great man of God who's been used of God and has unction and authority with God that didn't have a powerful prayer life. But this isn't just about leaders, friends. Every one of us, God wants us to be effectual, effective in our words. Do you know one thing else about Samuel? It says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that he's... As he spoke, he grew. He grew up, and as he spoke, his words did not fall to the ground. There's so many words that have fallen to the ground because they're not in the power of the Holy Spirit. But get a man or woman, and dear friends, they're few and far between, but thank God there are some. Get men and women that will read, and you can listen to them for hours, can't you? I was at a meeting last night and I was listening to a lady speak with the anointing of God on her. And she probably didn't even realize there was an anointing on her. I don't know. But I could have recorded that 15 minutes and listened to it all day. Isn't that right, brother? Just 15 minutes from a woman of God. And the things she said were absolutely spot on. But she's one that kind of... That she's won the attentions of the listeners, not because of ease, but she's been through an awful lot. And usually through suffering and prayer and seeking the face of God, the man or woman comes through to a place where they don't need to strive people to listen. Friends, I'm not asking you to jump through several hoops. Just begin praying. Don't try and think, I've got to spend so many time, so many hours with the Lord. No, no, no. I'm, not, I'm saying about begin, calling on God. Give yourself to it. What are you given to? Is it the television? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a television. I'm just simply saying, are you given to it? Is it always on, even when you're not looking at it? What are we given to? 
I'm not saying you shouldn't watch something to relax, but oh God, that we would have a priority here. That we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we would know what it is to pray ceaselessly. No wonder there's such deadly messages. Because there's such prayerless preaching. Ian Bounds also said this, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. That's what God's looking for. Better men. We have methods up to our ears, friends. It, have, you, have you not noticed it's powerless? The man makes the preacher. God must make the man. May the Lord help us. Samuel had words that did not fall to the ground. Do you want to be like that? I'm not saying that everything you say, somebody's going to be broken up or anything like that. I'm just saying that you're in a place where sometimes the Lord will give you something. And it will penetrate a heart. It will melt a heart. It will bring them to the love of Christ. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 15, please. is when the people of God are backslidden before God. And in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Jeremiah, we read these words. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And so it goes on. But do you notice something here? You've got the negative in the verse, but there's something here. Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind is made up. Do you see it? It's as though the Lord's saying, even if Moses and Samuel were before me, seeking my face, I would still have to judge. And the Lord uses these two men as means of expressing to the people the severity of God's anger over where Israel had gone. Uh, showing the, the, the depravity, as it were. I don't think that's quite the right word, but shows the, how far away from God, the people of God, the Lord even brings Moses and Samuel into view. That shows you that Moses and Samuel had a lot of sway with God. You see, God doesn't simply respond to prayer. He responds to people. And if you want a powerful prayer life with God, it's not simply by means of eloquence. It's by means of the life. Coming before God, it makes every difference. 
who is before him. If he sees that you and I are people that turn up regularly and seek the face of God much, it will be that the Lord will say, even if Joan or Peter or Jane or whoever, wouldn't you like that kind of testimony with God? Maybe not to this level, but nonetheless, something of sway with God, where it's almost as though the Lord says, ah, so-and-so's coming before me. I can listen to this. How concerned are we to know the heart of God? Are we willing to lay aside everything? Leaders are to be willing to lay aside work. And I speak to myself because, you know, actually, you know, you could all have gone home this morning and I'd be happy just to preach this to the wall so that I can listen to myself and try and get it more into my heart. But we will give ourselves that sacrifice, that sacrifice. You say, it doesn't just say prayer, it also says the ministry of the word. I know, but how long do you want to sit there for? I haven't got the time. God willing, next time we'll talk about the ministry of the word. And you notice that Samuel particularly in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 23 that we read earlier. When he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. That's the ministry of the word. But notice the ministry of the word comes out of the prayer life. For the servant of God who wants to minister the word, he has to have a prayer life that is at least to a degree effectual if, his, if that uh, teaching is going to have effect upon the people. Do you see what I mean? Here we have this verse. Prayer and teaching. Prayer and teaching. Unless the servant of God is into the word of God for long periods of time, not five minutes a day. The servant of God who ministers the words has to be in the word of God much. But if he's in the word of God much, but he doesn't pray much, there's an imbalance. It seems interesting to me that it says prayer first but we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Brothers and sisters, what are you given over to? What has your heart? What has your attention? What has your devotion? What has your time? May I humbly remind us, time is running out. It's becoming more and more something that is precious. 
There's a time coming when no man can work. There's a time coming where we won't be able to buy the oil anymore. And I pray to God that every one of us, not least of all myself, wouldn't be those that live in the knowledge of regret that I spent wasted hours on futile things when I could have been before God buying the oil.